Thank you for joining me for quite excellent episode number 42. This week's poem is The Hill We Climb by Amanda Gorman, and it is likely to be the newest poem ever included on this podcast because it hasn't technically been published yet. Gorman published her first poetry collection, which I'm having a very hard time finding, by the way, in 2015 when she was 17 years old and became America's first National Youth Poet Laureate two years later. She's currently in the spotlight for this poem, which she wrote and recited for the inauguration of President Biden just this past week. This is a tremendous poem, and her delivery was fantastic. I highly encourage my students to watch it. I'll link to it in our assignment and in the show notes. Before we get to Gorman, we must return to The Land of Storybooks by Robert Louis Stevenson. This was another poem that I had hoped students would find approachable, but beyond that, they really found interesting things to say about not just characters and images, but also like the structure that's being used here. Here's the poem. The Land of Storybooks, Robert Louis Stevenson. At evening, when the lamp is lit around the fire, my parents sit. They sit at home and talk and sing and do not play at anything. Now, with my little gun, I crawl all in the dark along the wall and follow round the forest track away behind the sofa back. There, in the night, where none can spy, all in my hunter's camp I lie and play at books that I have read till it is time to go to bed. These are the hills, these are the woods, these are my starry solitudes, and there the river by whose brink the roaring lions come to drink. I see the others far away, as if in firelamp camp they lay, and I, like to an Indian scout, around their party prowled about. So, when my nurse comes in for me, home I return across the sea, and go to bed with backward looks at my dear land of storybooks. I think an appropriate place to start here is with the parents of this poem. They're in the second line, sitting around the fire. One student notes that the child describes the parents as people who do not play at anything. His parents don't seem to admire the power of storybooks because they don't have the unabashed or simple mind of a child, this student says. Another says that the presentation of the parents shows how people can lose their imagination over time. They can become dull. Another agrees, saying this shows how we lose our spark of imagination as we grow up. The boy just observes as his parents sit at home and do not play at anything while he goes off and he has these grand adventures through his books. And that, that those books and the adventures they provide, of course, are the center of this poem. The boy, according to a student buys books specifically it seems about cowboys and soldiers seem to enjoy references because of how frequently we get those kind of details in here Christian says the child sees the others far away in the poems seemingly maybe recognizing how others aren't playing like they like this child is because they only stay in the real world and they just talk and sing they don't go out into their own world by reading a student pointed to the fact that the parents are around the fire as we change, we shift into the imaginative world of 
the speaker. And it's seemingly indicating that the speaker is getting enticed into the storybook, being drawn away from the real world. Another notes that the shift also shows the reader that they're not in reality anymore because it starts talking about toys and sneaking around, which is a significant change to the setting that we were just in. Another describes this story as a speaker, a child that makes his home, his world sound like a magical place using his big imagination and comments personally uh, that they think it is pretty cool to think like that. And this student says, I wish I could think like that again. Another agrees, saying that reading is a way for the narrator to see far away in the poem, to escape from reality into something that's more lively, more interesting. And a number of students commented on their relationship with books, as some of these did. Well, a student said that books are more than lines of words. It's in the art that you can learn from and play with to inspire people like this child to imagine and that without imagination, we would not grow. And so this student is saying that the books are an intrinsic part, really, in our growth as people, which, you know what? Yeah, I'm on board for that. Another says the author wants to portray the idea that books can take you everywhere and anywhere. And of course, this speaker does go everywhere and anywhere, but eventually, they have to come back to reality. A student points to the line that says, I return across the sea. And says that this shows the kid is returning back to the present time and leaving all the adventures behind in their books. And this line here was regularly referred to by students focused on this return. Another says that this is another way of saying that they're coming back to reality. That they're ceasing the current session of daydreams. Another points to the same line and says this is maybe the student going back to sleep, returning back to bed. And that this shows the boys was reading before bed, and when he stopped, he had to return back to the real world. And in particular in this, one student focused on the word see itself. They said, it seems that returning to reality from his tale is a long and struggle-filled journey for the boy to make, as though crossing a sea. And this boy doesn't want to leave. It shows how expansive the difference is between stories and reality. And, yeah... Yeah, absolutely. And there's something here that I don't think students maybe either are aware of uh, or thought of here, but these responses about this return, it makes me think of a hero's journey. In a traditional hero's journey, also called a monomyth, a young, inexperienced person is tasked with going off into the unknown to accomplish something often to learn something really important about themselves. And they go and they take off on this grand adventure. And they're usually a little bit hesitant to leave in the beginning, in the same way that sometimes young people can be hesitant to start getting into books. But when they discover the breadth of the un this unknown world, they actually become so comfortable in it, in hero's journeys, that they're almost forced to return back to the world they had known before. But they do it better somehow, improved, sometimes with something to give the people they return back to, maybe in the way that a student noted that books can help us grow. And so I actually see, as a result of all these comments from my students, maybe there's a hero's journey in this poem, hiding maybe just a little bit under the surface. Now, in all of this, uh, there's a lot of really interesting analysis done on the tone that seems to be present here. Uh, a student notes that a person can feel uninterested in reality, and this is that kind of a natural, disinterested tone. Um, but 
wish to escape into some larger fantasy, that wish fulfillment that books provide. Uh, Another student says that the land of storybooks recounts the feeling of childhood wonder through the exciting world of books and from the perspective of a young child. And a few students mentioned this feeling of wonder here, too. Another says that the poem brings a heavy childlike sense to the poem, giving off a sleepy, dreamy vibe. They compare it to a bedtime story in this way. Another point specifically to the use of all the imagery here that helps convey that sense of wonder. It immerses us in another world, according to the student, showing the vivid imagination that the speaker has. Uh, These scenes put us into this other space. A student looks specifically at the, the groups of words and how they are structured and organized, which of course I adore, uh, and focuses on the rhyming patterns here and associates this rhyme pattern with storybooks, which are common for children. So as a result, this whole poem feels like it's something out of a children's story. Another point to the rhyming as well, saying it uh, can create a land of wonder and imagination that readers can experience in the first person. Specifically, this student pointed to the forest track and sofa back uh, and the relationship that those two things have. And although this student didn't fully explain that connection, I think I get it. It seems that rhyming a word or phrase that's specifically from the reality of this children's home with a word or phrase from the imagination of the children's mind. It it connects the two somehow. It lets us see how there is a relationship between the child moving in one and dreaming in the other. And I think that's a really interesting connection to make. Another student points to how brief the poem really is, saying it was descriptive very short, just how people would describe their own dreams. And of course, the passphrase last week was uh, required students to think about the first-person perspective, and Many of them had very interesting things to say. A student said the first-person perspective allows for the reader to not only understand the child, but also apply their own adventures from their own imagination. They said that I, too, have followed around the forest track as a child in my reading of stories and in the imagination. Another said that the use of the first person here allows the speaker to actually keep their enjoyment private, away from the parents which is why it's being told in the first person. Using that I allows us to be a more personal, individual-centered poem. A student says that the author puts you in the child's first-person perspective to emphasize the importance of a child reading while in their youth. The books are so influential that they can help conquer dreams, parts of who they are individually. Another that first-person perspective could make the reader remember when they were younger and held a big imagination, and that trying to get the reader to feel nostalgic for a simpler time when they were a kid. And finally, another notes that they think that the author wants to relive his own life, maybe, when he was a child, happy and playful, and had an overactive imagination. So maybe the use of that first-person I is the poet seeping in just a little bit to experience that wish fulfillment. And I I love all these responses. I think they're fantastic. This is, on the face of it, a pretty straightforward poem about an imaginative young boy who loves books. But there's also a lot of other really interesting things happen here to express uh, tonal ideas and thematic ideas and really personal experiences. And I really love that students made connections to their own personal history with reading. I think that's delightful. Now, our next poem is The Hill We Climb by Amanda Gorman. It is rare for a poem to capture our national attention the way that this one 
has. And it just wasn't possible for me to not ensure that my students are a part of this nationwide literary moment. Since her reading at the inauguration, three of Gorman's books are the top three best-selling books on Amazon, and they do not come out until September. This poem will eventually be published in one of those. It's a collection of the same name, titled The Hill We Climb. This is a powerful poem, and I honestly don't want to say too much about it before students have the opportunity to get into it. So I won't, mostly. I will encourage students, though, to listen to the sounds of the poem. Not only are there clever rhymes in here, but there are moments where the sounds of the poem are so consistent and pleasing that, to be honest, I get a little bit lost in them. I, I on a couple occasions, had to back this poem up to rehear the words because I kept only hearing the sounds, which may sound strange, I'm sure. For those students who do want to talk about these details in their poem, details that I will call the audible texture of the poem, I'll provide a couple definitions that could be useful. You may be familiar with alliteration, where a series of similar sounds are used at the beginning of words that are close together, like when I said a series of similar sounds. There's also assonance, where vowel sounds anywhere in nearby words are repeated, and consonants, where consonant sounds are used anywhere in nearby words and repeated. So if you hear a repetition of B sounds, buh, 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 that would be consonants. But if they're at the beginning of words, it would also be alliteration. I'm not requiring anyone to write about these terms, but you might at the very least consider listening for them. If you happen to be able to write about them, I will be impressed because this is not only talking about structure, it's also talking about sound, which is it's a challenge to interpret what sound might mean. I will, however, require you to use our passphrase, which can be found in the poem's title. Throughout the poem, Gorman uses the word we, a second-person pronoun that is fairly uncommon in poetry. Why, I wonder, does she use it here and use it so frequently? I don't know. Given that our last poem, though, we focused on the first person, it does feel pretty appropriate that this week our secret passphrase is second person. We once again have a writing task as well. Now, our writing task this week is to avoid using the word quote. So don't say that in this quote, Gorman does whatever she does, or in a later quote, she does, and then something else. Instead of using the word quote, Describe what you quoted. For instance, instead of saying, in this quote, Amanda Gorman reminds us of the January 6th attack on our capital. Say instead, by reminding us of the January 6th attack on our capital in this way, Gorman, and then say what she does. What is the effect? You can always get rid of the word quote and your writing will be more effective as a result. And I'd like to make a quick note about our writing tasks. The writing tasks I'm giving you are not only useful in the poems where I ask you to use them, but they apply to all of our poetry responses and really all of the academic writing you're going to do. So consider including a brief summary in your responses. Keep using shorter quotations, shorter than five words in length especially. I'm not scoring you on them at this particular moment, but your responses will keep getting better if you continue to get comfortable using these skills. Here's Amanda Gorman reading her poem from the inauguration of Joseph Biden Jr. 
When day comes, we ask ourselves, where can we find light in this never-ending shade? The loss we carry, a sea we must wade. We've braved the belly of the beast. We've learned that quiet isn't always peace. And the norms and notions of what just is isn't always just is. And yet the dawn is ours before we knew it. Somehow we do it. Somehow we've weathered and witnessed a nation that isn't broken, but simply unfinished. We, the successors of a country and a time where a skinny black girl descended from slaves and raised by a single mother can dream of becoming president only to find herself reciting for one. And yes, we are far from polished, far from pristine, but that doesn't mean we are striving to form a union that is perfect. We are striving to forge our union with purpose, to compose a country committed to all cultures, colors, characters, and conditions of man. And so we lift our gazes not to what stands between us, but what stands before us. We close the divide because we know to put our future first. We must first put our differences aside. We lay down our arms so we can reach out our arms to one another. We seek harm to none and harmony for all. Let the globe, if nothing else, say this is true. That even as we grieved, we grew. That even as we hurt, we hoped. That even as we tired, we tried. That we'll forever be tied together, victorious. Not because we will never again know defeat, but because we will never again sow division. Scripture tells us to envision that everyone shall sit under their own vine and fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. If we're to live up to our own time, then victory won't lie in the blade, but in all the bridges we've made. That is the promised glade, the hill we climb, if only we dare it. Because being American is more than a pride we inherit. It's the past we step into and how we repair it. We've seen a force that would shatter our nation rather than share it would destroy our country if it meant delaying democracy. And this effort very nearly succeeded. But while democracy can be periodically delayed, it can never be permanently defeated. In this truth, in this faith we trust, for while we have our eyes on the future, history has its eyes on us. This is the era of just redemption. We feared it at its inception. We did not feel prepared to be the heirs of such a terrifying hour, but within it we found the power to author a new chapter, to offer hope and laughter to ourselves. So while once we asked, how could we possibly prevail over catastrophe? Now we assert. How could catastrophe possibly prevail over us? We will not march back to what was, but move to what shall be, a country that is bruised, but whole, benevolent, but bold, fierce, and free. 
We will not be turned around or interrupted by intimidation because we know our inaction and inertia will be the inheritance of the next generation. Our blunders become their burdens, but one thing is certain. If we merge mercy with might and might with right, then love becomes our legacy and change our children's birthright. So let us leave behind a country better than the one we were left with every breath from my bronze-pounded chest. We will raise this wounded world into a wondrous one. We will rise from the gold-limbed hills of the West. We will rise from the wind-swept Northeast where our forefathers first realized revolution. We will rise from the lake-rimmed cities of the Midwestern states. We will rise from the sun-baked South. We will rebuild reconcile and recover in every known nook of our nation, in every corner called our country, our people diverse and beautiful will emerge battered and beautiful. When day comes, we step out of the shade of flame and unafraid. The new dawn blooms as we free it. For there is always light if only we're brave enough to see it, if only we're brave enough to be it. Students, be sure to avoid at all costs using the word quote in your responses, and be sure to use our secret passphrase. It's second person. They are both required for full credit. Remember to complete your paragraph-length response by Wednesday, January 27th, 2021, and two replies to the responses of your peers by the Friday that ends the week. Your paragraph-length response should include a tag and make a claim in the opening sentence or two, and any evidence you use should be short embedded smoothly into your sentences, and fully explained. A quick reminder about claims, by the way, they require proof. If your first sentence just says that this is a poem about America, that's not a claim. Your claim cannot be obvious. Be sure to read the assignment instructions for a full breakdown of the expectations. If you enjoy this podcast, have suggestions, or would like me and my class to direct an eye toward a particular poem or poetic device, leave a comment on lightandteaches.com or on Twitter. I am at lightandteaches. The content of this podcast is used as a companion to in-class instructional activities, and ownership of these texts remain with their stated authors. Thank you for joining me for episode 42 of this podcast. I hope that between now and the next time you hear from me, discover and savor a few things that you yourself find quite excellent.